right. Welcome to episode 120 of Tell Me Where to Turn. That's a strong sounding number, gentlemen. 120 episodes. That is. And I am Tommy2 underscore zero on Twitter, the only member of the threesome that has been on all 120 episodes. And what an accomplishment. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Glenn3 underscore 11. And you can find me on Twitter at PointBreak underscore Dave. Tommy being on all 120 episodes is kind of like the line of 300 people to summit Everest. It just kind of cheapens <laughs> the whole thing. Man, that was, Man. A, I, that was an amazing visual, by the way. It's so stupid. It's like the summit of Everest looks like when they first opened a Krispy Kreme in Dallas. <laughs> Like, it's like in and out burger. <laughs> exactly. I, I will say that I uh, I knew one, I've known one guy that took a shot at Everest, and I would pretty easily be able to say that he was probably just outside of that feet the dumbest guy I know. So I would take say that for what it's is, worth. There's a, uh, there's a summit that's about eight minutes from my house, and I wouldn't <laughs> wait in a line that long to get in there much less risk altitude, sickness, and death. I mean, at what point does... It's Nepal, right? Yeah. At what point does Nepal need to come and call in the people that work the Chick-fil-A drive-thru and they're like, hey, get up here and optimize this? What if we had two lines? What if we didn't actually use the speaker system or the window? What about just kind of a build-out, you know? Yeah. Just get another 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 line there. Yeah. I mean that's that, that seems easy. Just renovate Mount Everest. <laughs> exactly. So is the idea. Hypothetically speaking, the mountains that are the summit that's eight minutes from your house, would you step over a dead body to get inside of the summit? <laughs> if uh if that was all that stood between you and uh monster chicken nachos, would you step over a dead a, body? Yeah, and a twenty seven degree beer. Yes, I would <laughs> Especially if they were Nepalese. <laughs> I would have my first jump since uh, last October to get into the, see those <laughs> those peaks. Well, I can't help but notice that you both have, you both have taken note of the fact that I'm in golf attire. So thanks for asking how my round went today. It was good. Yeah, Pretty good. Cool, cool, cool church thing, huh? Yeah. Weird, so our church has a Wednesday night men's Bible study and golf league, and I am not I making that up. I thought so, you were going to say our church has a golf course. <laughs> <laughs> it's no the sanctuary in the uh, youth building. There's a golf course. But I bet you, if you took the net deposits on that offering, you could probably get pretty close to a championship yeah. caliber course. But no, we uh, we meet up there right after work, and then we uh, we gather on the uh, first tee box for a McMahon family prayer, and then we uh, we play <laughs> some golf. Well, we're gonna get to that. We're gonna get to that later, and I don't know. Maybe there's a chance that could just open up the whole show, the McMahon family prayer, or maybe open every show. But um, first, we have an email that I'd like to read. Sent and to received, the show inbox. Yes, and we received this email about 13 days ago. We skipped last week. We had a bye week. Um, 
And I'll tell you, I've needed like all 13 days just to read through this thing. Uh, so this comes from Justin, the man who went back and binged like the first, I think, I think he started with us about episode 90, and then he started back at one and binged all of them during the course of, uh, I think it was all this year, maybe started the end of last year, doesn't matter. So he listened as my handicap just went down and down and down. I appreciate that. He certainly did. So here we go. If my voice doesn't give out. Here we go. So it says, hey, fellas, I've tweet interacted with you all, but I've been too lazy to email. And sometimes I feel bad when you guys only have one to two emails to read. Let me tell you, that's a good week. (laughs) We have one or two. Yeah. If we if we look in the inbox and there's an email in there, even if it's like 20 percent off at Dick's Sporting Goods, we're still happy. Yeah. So it says, I know reading an email from Gustav every episode can be a little monotonous. Those were like the first 20 episodes. Yeah. Gustav uh, doesn't says, listen anymore, so joke's on yeah, you. That's true. So it says, anyway, uh, I love what you guys are doing. And as a Richardson resident, I enjoy hit- the hitting so close to home references. I don't know. I don't think he lives on the enchilada side <laughs> of Richardson from what I recall i feel like he's taken dave to task on twitter for his anti-east richardson bias though oh maybe he is then okay so anyway he says i can't help but also think in my time in the area we might have at some point crossed paths whether it's at various churches a steve-o comedy show at the addison (laughs) improv or the wildflower festival all decent chances all of them so he says, uh, one observation before the reason I'm uh, before the reason I'm actually sending the message. So we're we're still in like the preamble here of the email. It says for three guys that work out all the time, you guys have a higher occurrence of health issues than most. <laughs> He's not wrong. He says I just finished episode eighty-eight and glad to hear that Tommy enjoyed the DP, and five minutes later was eating at Brahms. <laughs> Is that when you got cleaned out? Yeah, boy, I'll tell you what. <laughs> Wonderful. Feeling. Yeah, speaking of yeah, speaking of Richardson, I blame a Richardson establishment for part of that. Not a sponsor so of the show. Says he was recently searching for a new doctor. Takes forever to get in to see the guy. Says he found one close to home. In the initial meeting, which is always a little awkward at his age of forty-three. I told him I wanted an annual physical just to make sure I'm in good health. And I figured once you hit 40, you were supposed to get checked for things. And he asked me what kind. He says, I don't know. Are you supposed to get your prostate checked at 40? He asked if I had any problems, and I said no. And then he handed me a brochure, which is all, that's always a, that's a bad sign. <laughs> that says it's fine to start at 50. So he dodged that bullet for a few more years. That's but good he's, to know. He's wondering what our doctors suggest. Didn't you didn't you detail on an episode when you got your exam recently? Yeah, so my I feel like Justin's uh, going to get to that episode and be like, "Wow, I didn't need to write this email." Yeah, my provider has kind of gone back and forth on that. I had been told by someone in the past that uh, forty five is more, you know, the practice here. But then uh, it definitely started <laughs> at forty. Not to not to mention that I just demanded it as I walked in. When the, when the music hit, but they're definitely starting that at forty. I, I think they push it back to forty-five or fifty when you don't have any like family or personal history. But to me, 
I don't know. I can I can have a few seconds of sacrifice to make sure I don't get some bad news anytime soon. Absolutely. Uh, they do establish a, a baseline in a blood test, which is called the PSA test. So if you've had that done where they have a, several years of data, you can avoid the uh, more manual check of the prostate, the more invasive check till a later age. But yeah, I mean, I think 40 is about the right time. And unfortunately for myself, there's a family history there. So oh no, yeah, I'll be, uh, I'll be taking, uh, I'll be taking one for the team here Maybe in just too. a couple of years. <laughs> just, to be, just to be sure about it. Okay, so now uh, back to the email. To the reason. Wait, that I'm wasn't the end of the email. We've just gotten to the reason. Should we wait till episode one twenty one to finish it? No. It says I was buying a suit the other night, <laughs> and I was checking out. I showed the cashier a code my wife had sent me. I really don't like doing the discount code things because you never know if they're going to work, and of course this one didn't. The twenty something female cashier had my phone and started swiping and putting in numbers and opening browsers, and it said his stomach dropped. Oh, no. He was frozen, wondering what browsing windows he'd left open or any, well, it says racy. Okay, now I'm relieved. Racy text my wife had sent me recently, but the former was 100 times more likely to happen than the latter. Uh, the cashier was being nice and searching for different codes, and while she didn't find anything near the 20% off, he saved, he saved five bucks. On a suit? What's the point? <laughs> I want $5 for reading this. <laughs> okay, I immediately thought of you guys and the horror that Dave would be in to have this similar situation happen, but it also made me wonder if this has happened to you before in your reaction. If you kindly asked for the phone back or violently ripped it out of the person's hand, violently ripped it out of their hand, by the way, there was nothing, nothing racy open on the browsers. Only rookies leave incognito or private browsing open. All, all she had access to was how boring his, his browsing history was, which right now is mostly 13 and under baseball tournaments, camps for kids, and a Texas Longhorn message board. Uh, he says, thanks for everything you, you do. He's, when he's two weeks ago when he sent this, he was heading to South Texas to catch up, to knock out episodes 89 through 94. And he says when he's done, he'll have to start paying attention to his wife and maybe start dating her again, which obviously is very important. Well, that's something we, we endorse as the show. Yes. yes. This is what's more beaten. Me listening to close to 200 hours of two, <laughs> of two and a half guys. He only gives Dave like a 50% I support credit. that. Um, 200 hours of the podcast or us doing this for free for so long. All right. I'm calling for the ball because I have two points to make about this email. Okay. One, Justin's not going to like. Two, he'll probably be more on board with. In fact, I'll start with two. <laughs> I had an experience like this with my phone, and it was worked out in the most horrific of ways. I um, was at work probably about October 2014, if that time frame means anything to anybody. Something very notable going on in the Dallas world at that time. Oh, oh yes. And um, I had found something on my phone that I felt like was very important for the, not the CEO, but the COO of our company to see, who was in the same room as me because there was a 
incident going on that brought the entire leadership of the company together. And I handed him my phone to show him. And about that time, a text came in from a friend of Dave and I's who will protect his anonymity. We'll call him the gummy bear man. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, he had made some extremely offensive comments about a, uh, a certain woman with a dog that <laughs> will remain nameless, but it involved him wanting to wear two of something just to be sure that he wouldn't get sick. And our COO was looking at what I sent him, and then I hear him audibly go, whoa, I probably wasn't supposed to read that. Who is, and then said the guy's name. Oh, and I said, no. uh, I'm very sorry for that, sir. That uh, was not meant for you to see, and then we never spoke of it again. <laughs> right, and he got in his Bentley and drove away. <laughs> in a matter of speaking, as a COO will uh, will do. Um, Part one of that comment for Justin is, and I consider myself the only man of fashion of the three of us because I actually work in an environment where you have to dress and dress smartly. If you're buying a suit at a place that takes discount codes, you need to go reevaluate everything in your life. And now I'm signing the screen. That is... Wow, goodness. Tommy, you're one of the podcast where you're just to make the listener go away. I feel like he's insulting Justin and myself. (laughs) That comment. So he ends with with your, your knowledge and success with DraftKings... I'd try it out if there was a code to use. And he says Tommy's hot picks to try out. I'll send him a code. Give me a referral bonus on DraftKings. Be all right. Yeah, I'll send him a code. It's actually 15K. You're (laughs) you're the easiest one to find on DraftKings because your DraftKings name is Point Break Dave. That's right. Um, So to his question, I've obviously never had that problem but i want you guys to rule on this because um we my wife and i have a friend that uh is she works in the uh medical field with pediatrics and it's i can just say she's a physical therapist right for kids okay so in that you know you're seeing the same kids multiple times a week. So she was telling me one time, and she's, you know, an attractive young woman. She was telling me one time that her, the father of the kid she'd been treating for a while said he wanted to show her some pictures of the kid on his phone. And as he's holding his phone up, swiping across, he just happens to come across a shot of him in the nude. And I, to this day... And she's like, oh, yeah, you know, it was totally a mistake. I was like, it was not a mistake. She's like, no, it it was. He seemed real embarrassed. I was like, I guarantee you that was intentional. So you guys rule 100% intentional, right? Yes, and I believe that can even be prosecuted as sexual assault unless you work for the Dallas Mavericks, and then it's totally fine. (laughs) (laughs) Then you get promoted. You get a front office. Yeah, then you get a 20 years in tenure. And they, they, yeah, they just uh, get a front office position. They just bring in a, a human force field to cover up the thing and show up at the lottery event and make a, yeah, make a bad pluck in the lottery. Yeah. yeah. 
problem solved. But yeah, a hundred percent intentional. So should we should we get to what we're here for? Because th- this could this could take a while. Yeah. So right now we're about 15, 16 minutes into the show. Thank you to everyone for listening. <laughs> we totally understand if you want to tune out now. All the fun content has happened because we are going to review WrestleMania 22 from 2006. Yes, yes. And the three of us are very excited about this, and we hope you'll enjoy it and find it amusing. But if not, we totally understand. Thanks for listening this far. But this is our first in the uh, countdown of our very well-researched and original rankings of the top 10 WrestleMania of all time. Correct, because this is our personal road to WrestleMania. Right. Um, So, yeah, so we're going to do one of these a month until leading us to Tampa next year when we go to WrestleMania 36 in person. So just to recap, that's kind of a reset. That's kind of the idea. So there's going to be a big payoff at the end of this, which is all of us and hopefully the fake Paul Bearer in Tampa Bay for WrestleMania 36. Oh, yes. Glenn was very quick to volunteer to rank his top 10 WrestleManias that he got by Googling top 10 WrestleManias (laughs) and then picking the first link he saw. Possibly true, can't be proven. (laughs) So... I had one thing, and I believe this was the very, very open of the show. Okay. And I wanted to see if any of you guys picked up on this. So, it's in Chicago. That's right. WrestleMania 22 in Chicago, Rosemont Horizon, approximately 1,000, or sorry, 17,155 people in attendance. Actually, it was called the Allstate Arena, I guess, at the time. But I believe it's technically the Rosemont Horizon. A small venue from where WrestleManias are today when they're having them in football stadiums drawing between 60 and 90,000 people. Yeah. An this intimate the setting. Last one, last one that was at an arena and not at a stadium. Very good. But it's it's also, it's not the, um, like that's not the arena where the Bulls play. So even, you know, in the Chicago area, they're kind of getting like the second tier sports venue in, in that area, even for a 17, you know, 20, 22,000 uh, seat arena, which I thought was interesting. So, okay, Dave, your comments. How no, it I, was just, out. I was just going to say, like, the, and if you want to get into the arena setup, we can get into that. But the very first thing when you flip it on is uh, not Beyonce is singing America the Beautiful. Did she go into verses that are never actually sung? <laughs> like she went into like three or four verses yeah. that I had never heard. I was like, "What? Why is this song going on so long?" So you know the backstory with WrestleMania in America the Beautiful is it's another like legendary Vince McMahon quirk that he can't stand to be around anybody that sneezes. He can't <laughs> stand smoking, and he hates the sound of the national anthem, and he really likes America the Beautiful. So at any of his events, he's always opted to go with that over the national anthem because he doesn't like the national anthem. That's a yeah, that's a Vince McMahon quirk. But yeah, going into the extra verses, I have no idea. Oh yeah, I guess guess you got to make it special once a year. I think the thing that struck me the most, I mean, the very first note that I had written down was how close the fans were to the ring. 
So they've clearly changed the stage setup many times over the years, but the the amount of space between the rail and the ring apron was incredibly. It felt like the fans were just right on top of the action. Yeah, Yeah, and that made plenty of pyro at the beginning. I mean, they do it now, but most of the time that's outdoors. But for how small that venue was, I was uh, kind of taken aback by that. And an unbelievable number of signs. I mean, every person in that arena had a sign. It was unbelievable. And and that was was the norm even before that. But definitely that was the sign era where when that first camera shot came out, every single person in there was holding up a sign. I thought the intro not the one because they kind of did two montages and the second one was about like matches happening that night but the one before that was like all past wrestlemanias yeah they licensed that was fantastic licensed a little shine down from uh glenn's repertoire i'm sure you've seen them in person um have i no i don't think i have I've 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 taken in a couple of three days grace concerts before, but <laughs> never been blessed with Shine Down. Wow. Although I did make a note of that about Shine Down being terrible <laughs> in my notes. But the the it's a great pyro, small arena, the first thing that I got a big well, actually I kind of laughed that <laughs> that part of Destiny's Child that's not Beyonce was singing America the Beautiful. But then the next thing I laughed at was the whole theme for WrestleMania 22 was big time and then the theme song was a song called big time by peter gabriel which they actually at one point like promoted like you can get it on cd it's a song that came out in 1986 (laughs) but you can get it on cd i mean it's true and i guess they probably probably to get uh peter gabriel's permission to use it maybe they had to promo it at least once you know make sure that everybody knew that it was available and out there i mean it's all a negotiation with vince you know you right. get some that's weird that they use a song that quote. came out in 86 i feel like that's strange well that's another vince mcmahon saying is that he's completely out of touch with pop culture so he might have thought that was cutting edge leading edge music for all we know you think he heard it like the day before he's like bad gum pal we gotta use this <laughs> Dead gum. Was, you can pick it up on now. That's what I call music negative eight. <laughs> uh, this so, about the moment after they did the montage and they cut to the arena and they get into the first match, uh, kind of stream of consciousness notes like we like to do on this show. I just wrote, man, this is weird seeing it in four, three non HD yep. format. No, my uh, eight-year-old son watched a lot of this with me, and that, that was the first thing he said is, what's wrong with the TV? <laughs> now, did you, did either or both of you watch this live when it happened years back? I did not. This was, was it 06? This was 06. This was kind of my somewhat dark period. Same, I was just same coming here. out of college, and I kind of fell off. I was... I was focused on dating my wife during those early years of our marriage and still am to this day. Very important. This is squarely in my dark period. So my my high period was probably 1995 through 2002 and then probably 2003 through the time we went to Raw last year. Uh, that was my dark period. Oh, wow. <laughs> awesome. Okay, well, obviously I'd never seen it before, but I mean, going into the first match... 
with the opening montage, the lead in and everything. Like I am, I am totally hooked. Like this is happening right now. <laughs> I am 100% in. And then we get the first match, which is a tag team match between Kane and the big show against Carlito and Chris masters who had the, what was it? The master lock, the master lock, a, a move that no one had ever <laughs> been able to kick out of before a trademark infringement too, I believe. Oh, wow. <laughs> this match lasted for six minutes and 42 seconds and was for the world tag team championships. I also got a kick out of, so we had big show with hair and then we also had Kane with one of the most bizarre haircuts I've ever seen where he had like the vertical bowl haircut where he had the, <laughs> he had the, I guess the front 30% of his head totally shaved and then the rest of it grown in. I don't know what was going on there. Did he have his eyebrows shaved? Yeah, too? I think that they did a, uh, cause Kane originally wore a mask and then I think he later went back to the mask, but they did this whole angle where there was some kind of a burning incident and he lost his mask and he was disfigured. So I think that was coming out of that angle is why he was appearing the way he was appearing in this show. You guys want to hear a quick hit on Chris Masters? So let me get the year here. In March of 2013, he saved his mother's life from a criminal who had committed arson at her home. It was reported that he pulled a 10-foot tree from the ground with his bare hands and threw it through a window to make a path for her to get out. Wow. But that man, was part of an I angle, right? I believe it. That guy was huge, man. No, he was in pretty good shape. And then his tag team partner, of course, and I, I think I even I couldn't even save this for the show, but I texted you is Carlito, who is the real-life son of... Carlos Colon, who we became all too familiar with during the Beyond the, or sorry, Dark Side of the Ring about Bruiser Brody, as he was uh, uh, not a, uh, he wasn't the guy that pulled the knife, but he was certainly a central figure in probably the cover up and lack of prosecution against the guilty party. And that's his son right. there in 2006 competing in the WWE. And, of course, that sent me down the Wikipedia trail of Carlito, and he technically still wrestles some, uh, you know, predominantly in Latin America. He hasn't been in any mainstream promotions in over a decade. But he is still somewhat semi-active in the wrestling world. So this match wasn't bad. It was somewhat forgettable. But I, will, I did want to point out one bit that, like I said, this is my dark period, so I don't remember this, but thoroughly enjoyed it was when the big show would get someone in the corner and he'd put his index finger up to his lips and make like the sound of the crowd and then chop them real loud. Like oh, the yeah. Hand slap. Can yeah. you imagine how much people must have hated wrestling him at that time? Because that those <laughs> hurt, man. There's, there's just no... You go work a match with him and you get chopped like that. That's, that's not fun. Only other, yeah, only other point I of note... I don't know if I was more shocked about how young the big show looked back then or just how old he looks now <laughs> yeah now the only other point of uh point of note i had there is, is i thought kane did an awesome dive through the ropes that yeah right again you know showing his age he, certainly not something he's going to do now pushing 50 but in, incredible athleticism and then the other thing and this is something i noticed during this match because it was the first one but was 
present all night was the photographers at ringside, which I thought was cool. That's not something you see today either, that there was essentially a line of seven or eight guys with big oh, the still cannon, you know, taking still photos at the ring, at ringside during the matches, which I thought was pretty cool. Yeah. I wonder if uh, Mayor Glenn Jacobs used those in his campaign handouts or... So after this match, we go to underrated. He's like, here's me beating up a guy from the Dominican. <laughs> and then he was elected. I live in Tennessee. I can promise you that goes what that goes over very well here. Is he, is he Tennessee or is he in Kentucky? No, he's in Tennessee. He's not Tennessee? actually not okay. far from where I am. Okay. I could probably get office hours with him. So Kane and Big Show win. Kane and, and Big then, Show retain the titles, and then we're on to Money in the Bank. And this was WrestleMania was the genesis of Money in the Bank, and then of course right. it took on a life of its own in later years, becoming its own standalone. Real quick, event. Sorry, before we get to Money in the Bank, there was a quick cutaway where Jonathan Coachman of now ESPN fame is interviewing Shawn Michaels. And again, you know, just writing down what I'm thinking at the time. He's doing his promo, and I'm like, I can't believe he mentioned Chris Benoit. <laughs> and then, like, oh. later in the show, I'm like, oh, this is before Chris Benoit died. Yeah, Chris we'll, Benoit is working a match in this show, buddy. Yeah, we'll, we'll get there. So, so we, we've got uh, RVD, Rob Van Dam, one of my favorites from back in the day, former ECW great, love Rob Van Dam. Fit Finlay, who's still with the company, now is a backstage agent. You probably didn't recognize him, but Glenn, you would have recognized him from the guy who told Becky Lynch it was okay to enter the Royal Rumble. Oh, uh, okay. We were there. Fair That's Fit Finlay. He's now a suit with the WWE. Okay. Uh, also very highly regarded for his wrestling technique and worked as a trainer for the WWE a long time and afterwards. supposed to be a legit badass. Yeah, a legit shoot fighter. We had an awesomely young and mobile Matt Hardy. I, I'm sure that was exciting for you. Oh yeah, to see how I mean, just part. how baby faced and young he looked. We had Ric Flair in a ladder match, which immediately question marks flying over my head. Oh, that was my that was my favorite part. And then when they they said he was 57 years yeah. old, <laughs> which checks out because he just had his 70th and yeah. and still around as far as we know. We had Shelton Benjamin, who never really lived up to his potential. And then my favorite, Bobby Lashley, who looks exactly the same as he looks now. <laughs> so Matt Hardy looks like a kid. L mobile, everything else. Bobby Lashley looks exactly the same as he looks now. It's Not one thing has changed. It's amazing. No. So this was, this was great, and I was completely surprised by it because I had no idea that mm -hmm. they used to do this match at... WrestleMania, and then you know Hardy's there, Flair's there. They get going pretty early on. Flair gets up to the top of the ladder, and then somebody takes him down all the way from the top. A yeah, near sixty-year-old man just lands just flat on his back, and to the point where he's exited and walked out of the ring with an apparent injury, which he's gone for a while. Which I'm sure it was just he couldn't stay in there the whole time. You right. Know? They didn't want they didn't want him to get exposed in the match. Right. So they, they so give they, away in the story to get him out of there. But man, I love Flair because he will take the huge flip to his back. I mean, that's like a calling card from his entire career is the huge backdrops, the superplex off the rope. He takes this huge fall on his back off the ladder. I mean, you got to give the dude credit at 57 is he will take that back bump, as they say, with the best. Oh, it was great. 
So he exits, exits with an injury. The match is going for like another five minutes or so. And then all of a sudden the fans hit again and here he comes running back out. He gets in there again. And then gets basically in the same. I think this time he wasn't suplexed right. off or anything. He was just pushed off. Right. But he took another he huge, another. yeah. Huge bump off the ladder. And then he was done. Yeah. And, uh, so I, I didn't note anything else during the course of the match. No, I don't know if there's anything in particular. Rob, Rob Van Rob Van Dam ends up winning the match to take the contract. He um, <laughs> he probably was in in the places that all those guys were in their career. Probably the obvious choice to win the match. I think he was really on the upswing. A big win for him. Um, Here, oh go ahead. No, no, I, that's all I had. I was going to say I, I had a few notes, but I'll just read in order. And I know Tommy just took a shot at him, but my first note was Shelton Benjamin is incredible. Like some of the stuff he did in that match. No, was, that was he was the most mystifying guy because you're exactly right. He was incredible in the ring, but whatever that that little thing that he lacked to really get over with the crowd, he never had it because there there was no reason he had, he was in great shape. He was yeah, he was awesome in this match. The fact that he he's looks, not a, a multi-time world champion at the top of the card baffling and yeah, he looks pretty similar even yeah. now yeah i and mean he he, and he's he such a like, sparsely used guy now but yeah he he held up pretty well too yeah he just looks like he might indulge in a little bit of whataburger every now and then <laughs> but other than that it's almost like it with him and bobby lashley like that it, it actually doesn't crack indeed huh. so yeah my notes were just sheldon benjamin's incredible <laughs> Flair's almost 60. He doesn't need to be doing that. Michael Cole just said, Lashley is the dark horse of this matchup. <laughs> then I was like, man, RVD is over. Because he was like on the floor out of the ring, not doing anything. And the crowd was just chanting RVD over and over again. And then it just ended with Sheldon Benjamin is still incredible. <laughs> yeah. But you could tell who was going to prevail just the way, the, I mean, it just made too much sense. So Van Dam takes it. So between right. between so now, yeah between matches here, so we have this now match. I want to play a game. Yeah, I was going to say. So between this match, we have two things happen. Well, first is we have Randy Orton with Mean Gene, and Orton looks young, and his hair looks a little more legit. No <laughs> tattoo sleeves yet. Yeah, tattoos are still coming into play. And then we have Hall of Fame inductions. Or actually, I guess they were just in, they were just put in the Hall of Fame the night before, so it's the introduction of the Hall of Fame class of 2006. Indeed. So I have, I believe there were nine total, eight wrestlers and one they <laughs> in have the a fridge. Calidor. Yes. So we're going to play the game. We played this one other time with Royal Rumble contestants. So the game is, I'm going to give the name, and you tell me if they're alive and doing well, they're alive and not doing well, or if they're dead. So the first person they brought out was good old mean Gene Okerlund. <laughs> oh, indeed. Unfortunately, Go this, ahead, Tommy. this podcast has probably ruined that for everybody because we had an episode called Stay Hard, Mean Gene. Yeah, he's, <laughs> he's definitely dead and not doing well. <laughs> He died this year he at did. the age of 76. Mean Gene had received three kidney transplants. Oh, Mean Whoa. Gene. Mean Gene yeah, so liked to indulge. On one of them. He liked to indulge 
in his uh, in his day. All right, let's go to Glenn. Sensational Sherry Martell. Um, alive and not doing well. Breaking news: died in two thousand seven. <laughs> oh, at the age of forty nine. Do we have a cause? The cause of death was overdose with multiple drugs, including a high amount of oxycodone. Mm. Wow. She well, didn't. She didn't look great when she was on the stage. And you're telling me she was forty eight. She was forty nine in 07, Yeah, so she was forty eight during this. You're so right. she was the same age as Glenn. And I'm look, not forty eight. Oh, sorry. <laughs> so I feel like Tommy's getting the easy ones. Tommy, Tony Atlas. So I wouldn't have had any clue on this if it weren't for Dark Side of the Ring, but. We saw him interviewed several times in the Bruzy, Bruiser Brody episode. Cracked me up every time. Seems to be doing well, so I'm going to go with alive and doing well. He is most certainly alive. The doing well is to be debated. According to like those net worth websites, they have him at a million, but I think that's trash because I found a article in the Orlando Sentinel from 2000 that's detailing some of his addictions to crack in the late 80s. And then it says um, he's he's now working as a fitness instructor at or gym instructor at Fitness World, a local gym. He still performs. This was in 2000 as a wrestler on the weekends to play the bills, but he has no health insurance. So he has to be careful. So unless things really turned around for him since 2000, I'm going to say he's not doing well. All right. Well, hold a good thought for Tony Atlas. All right. Glenn, Vern Gagne. Oh, God. He was the older gentleman on the stage, if that might give you a hint on how <laughs> Spoiler he's doing alert. 12 years later. Sounds like a former star's great. Um, yes, Dave Gagne, number 15. Okay, so he's yeah, he's definitely dead. He died in 2015 at the age of 89. Overdose? No, <laughs> he was just 89's an old a good man, run for a wrestler. But his his last years were not good as he was in a memory loss care facility. Oh. Diagnosed with either Alzheimer's or possible CTE. So, indeed. Yes. He overdosed on age. <laughs> All right, Tommy, this was the celebrity induction. William the Refrigerator Perry. Unfortunately, an extra-large casket has been purchased. Incorrect. Really? He is alive. He is not doing well. <laughs> he was hospitalized in 2016 as his weight had blown to 425 pounds oh, and he no. had severe diabetes. Oh, no. And was confined to a wheelchair. And then later was found to have sold his Super Bowl ring. Um, I thought I had the amount, but I don't have it. He's currently living off Social Security disability checks. Oh, no, indeed. Yeah, that is a tough one. All right, so we'll speed this along. They inducted the Blackjacks. 
Blackjack Mulligan died in 2016 at 73, so pretty old for a wrestler. Blackjack Lanza is still alive, but there was very little info on him. Eddie Guerrero um, was dead before dead. he got inducted. Yeah. Yes, he died in 05 at the age of 38. He, he had it was a it was a heart condition, but was that a heart condition brought on by? He had a pretty bad substance? drug. He had a pretty bad drug issue, unfortunately. Yeah. He did. He also looks to have got on the gas because when he was in WCW, he was about 40 pounds less muscle. <laughs> and then he got to the WWE and bulked up. And finally, Bret Hart, who did not show, but was inducted into the Hall of Fame. He's alive, and as we know, because he was just in for the uh, Hart Foundation. Yeah. He's and doing he, pretty good. He turned up on the AEW pay-per-view. Yeah. yeah so, so just two quick minutes on that, Dave. Did you end up watching that? You know what? I watched the pre-show, but um, we actually had the in-laws as house guests, so I did not order it. But I have found a way that you can stream it now after the live broadcast, and I plan on watching all of it. Okay. A close source of mine that did watch it told me the Cody Rhodes versus Dustin Rhodes match was incredible. Okay, and uh, your favorite John Moxley, aka Dean Ambrose, makes us a shocking appearance. Did you watch the pre-show? Yes. Did you see the battle royal with the guy with no legs? I did. <laughs> oh, I'm very, I'm <laughs> so, very yeah, the, obsessed the with a guy in that battle great. royal named the Luchasaurus. He could be my <laughs> yeah. new favorite wrestler. I've heard the Rhodes match was great, and I, obviously there's a family lineage there, you know, that goes back and everything. But those guys look like the two biggest spares. <laughs> well, Dustin Rhodes is gold dust. Okay, so that we makes all, sense. We all love gold dust. Yeah, okay, that makes a little sense. But man, how old is that guy? He's old. This was it for him. I'm pretty sure he's yeah. Done. And like Cody was doing something to take a shot at Triple H during his his yeah. intro, if you hadn't seen that, and I was just like, I don't know, that just I don't have like a, a huge rooting interest either way, but it just came off real cheesy to me. Anyone that takes a shot at Triple H, I'm vehemently against. Right. And the problem and the problem is you can't just have them go at it because then each side's like. They want to choreograph, you know, who's going to win. So you can't really ever settle it, which is great, but also frustrating. <laughs> Triple H would beat him with a pedigree clean oh. in the middle. <laughs> in about 17 seconds. <laughs> Knock his dumb blonde hair off. Okay. The um, next match. J next match. JBL. So yes. So my, oh, okay. Hold on. Did he, did JBL come out first? Um, no, I think he came out second because his okay, entrance my first had a gimmick after uh, Hall of Fame intros is, oh boy, now we have a murderer entering the <laughs> ring. I wrote, it's weird seeing people cheer Benoit. Oh yeah. And if you recall, JBL comes out in a car from underneath that the stage. That was pretty awesome. Pretty cool. Yeah. Um, I had, he is a big country boy. And there are two other big things that are accompanying him <laughs> out to the ring. Boy, were they! And I had no idea who that was. I had to look. I had to look her up. Uh, 
private browsing. Her name was Jillian <laughs> Hall. I have no idea. Like, if you had told me that name and said that was in wrestling, I would have had no clue. Short-lived career. But, um, man, this match, well, first, JBL went to the alma mater of Tommy and I, so yeah. always a big fan. To see another ACU Wildcat out there doing good in the world. And, man, these guys beat the ass out of each other in this match. There were so many just ridiculous chops and <laughs> clotheslines. I mean, that was a violent beating of a match. They were working so stiff. And then one of my early notes of this match was, man, Taz is worse on commentary than I remember. Oh, he was, I don't know how he stayed in the booth for so long. He was just brutal this whole show. Because they're switching between the SmackDown and Raw commentators. So I think this is the first match we had, Taz, or at least this is the first time I remember it. And I was like, man, he's terrible. But man, as we just talked about in the Hall of Fame, this is only a year out from Guerrero's death. And JBL is like doing all the mimicking and all the taunting, mimicking Guerrero. Oh, I, I like, know. I couldn't believe that was the next note I had. I couldn't believe that they signed off on this because Eddie was very well liked in the back. And now you've got JBL out there doing his doing his uh, signature moves and then mocking his hand gestures to get the crowd riled up. It worked. <laughs> yeah, I think I can I can believe it because things were more full throttle back then. And then I read an article today that uh, Ambrose was on. I think Chris Jericho's podcast and talking about reasons that he left WWE and a lot of it was just like the how they used him in the creative process. And one of the things he wouldn't say what was in the script for him to say that, that night when Roman Reigns revealed he had leukemia and then Dean turned heel against Seth Rollins. But there was supposed to be something else he was supposed to say about Roman's cancer. that was like so over the top and offensive that he refused to say it. He said that was the first step to him leaving. And, he didn't say whether it was Vince that suggested it or one of the writers, but wow, yeah. So yeah, I believe that a year later he'd be they'd be mocking a dead guy, <laughs> without question. <laughs> so to move this along, unless you had anything else, JBL ends up winning the match. I thought it was a very creative finish, a great heel finish mm-hmm. that Benoit gets him in the crippler crossface, and then JBL rolls it into a pin and holds the ropes. Just you got to hold the ropes heat. just to get a, yeah, get a little more heat. I would just say it was a lot better than I expected when he waltzed out there, and <laughs> I was like, who is this guy? But no, I was, I thought it was really, it was a really good match. Then we transition into something that you're definitely not going to see today and that was what was billed as a hardcore match between edge and uh hardcore legend mick foley and this thing this was the part where i had to pause it and tell my son like okay buddy um dad's gonna finish this match by himself because <laughs> this thing got messy in a hurry now some things that yeah. happened in this match this is a hardcore match but one of the things i wrote down early on that just cracks me up because it's just so nonsensical is they have the guys digging under the ring, which is, um, I guess, you know, in a hardcore match, you're like, oh, well, hey, maybe there's a weapon I can use under the ring. And, and they do better today about putting, like, believable stuff under there, like a toolbox or a ladder. Well, there's just cookie sheets under the ring. Like, oh, somebody was going to bake some cookies, so <laughs> good thing those were here. Just a bag of tacks under there. <laughs> My goodness. 
Were there ever? They that, did it all. That was uh, and and that's really that's legit. I mean, they're they uh, they oh, sanitize sure. the tax to you know avoid any kind of infection. But there, there's no, that's that's what you see is what you get with that. That's exactly what it looks like. I uh, really, I mean, my only note, obviously, you know, they do the tax, they do the flaming tables, they do barbed wire, they do all that. <laughs> they did both, the barbed wire, Mister Sacco. <laughs> yeah, they're both bleeding. Um, Foley did his kind of one of his patented moves where his opponents against the ropes and edge was against the ropes. And he does the clothesline where they both go over, but Lita was on Foley's back when they went over. Do you remember this? Oh yeah. And she just goes straight to the floor. No, She took a nasty spill there, but I did write Joey styles, former ECW commentator. Awesome on commentary. Yeah. They had him out only for this match. Just because it was, was a hardcore great. match, and he was awesome. Yeah. And they were, I mean, th- there was blood everywhere. I mean, it was it was everything that you would expect in a hardcore match with Mick Foley. But wow, I just, I still couldn't get over the fact of that is not that long ago. And there is no way anything that violent would happen on TV today. Right. This was end of an era, because this was Foley's last good WrestleMania match. Right. And of course, in the typical veteran fashion, he loses the match to edge, which is passing the torch. Cause this is when edge really started to get on his upswing, a couple mm-hmm. of world title runs in his future. But, um, all in all, he just, I was just shocked by the violence of interesting match. It went for, uh, gosh, almost 15 minutes, 14 minutes, 36 seconds. And that it was brutal, hard to watch. Good ending, though. Yeah. I was a big fan of Foley getting slammed through the, the flaming table. I mean, give me a break. In, in what I was wondering is, so you guys tell me this, because I'm always trying to spot the gimmick. So there was a point in the match when he got lighter fluid squirted on him very early on. Do you think that was the anti-lighter fluid substance that they put on him so that when they went through the table, he wouldn't catch on fire? Because I was no. thinking, if that was really lighter fluid, then he sh- he was in big time danger going through that table. Later, I think no, I think they. Uh, well, it's one of two things: either they knew it would uh, it would dissipate by the time they actually did the flaming table spot, or knowing fully, maybe he wanted it on there so his his flannel would catch fire. I just can't be legit. I just can't imagine. Yeah, that that's just such a dangerous, uh, such a dangerous spot in the match. And I mean, and they put a ton of lighter fluid down on that table. It wasn't, oh, let's just get a little fire. It was like squirt the whole bottle out, and here we go. Well, I mean, but the WWE is about safety. They they <laughs> wouldn't have had a recent incident a few years prior to this where somebody died or anything. No, so it's, I, it's I all about them. safety. Uh, so should we get on to? Handicap match, which I'm, yeah. How the how this gender handicap? Event, match. I'll never know. Yeah, Booker T and Charmel versus the Boogeyman. Man, do you want That's... a quick quick fun fact on the Boogeyman? Yes. I want everything you can give me on the Boogeyman. So the Boogeyman actually got his introduced to the WWE crowd. Um, back then they were doing tough enough, which was their reality, basically contest show to see who would get a contract. So the boogeyman, they, they took eight this year. He gets chosen as one of the final eight. So he makes the show 
after surviving the first day of eliminations, they call him up and ask him again how old he is. On his form, he put he was 30, but no one was buying it, and the age cutoff for the show was 35. He finally admits he's actually 40 years old. <laughs> he's 137 years old. <laughs> so they immediately cut him from the competition, but they thought he had enough that they sent him to OVW, which was Ohio Valley Wrestling, which is where they were training people. And he makes a big enough impact there that they, they call him up and give him a contract. And what's crazy is, I mean, we can get into the this match, but Booker T goes on to have several title runs. Boogeyman beats him. In three minutes. And at in the a, Royal Rumble, in a handicap match. he beat... At the Royal Rumble, he beat JBL in two minutes. Where was the book? Where was the Boogeyman title run? That's what I want to know. Yeah, I don't know. They might have run out of worms. <laughs> Maybe that's what happened. Because he he rolls out there. They get started. Great entrance. And then, oh yeah, great for music. Sure. Everything was great. And he pulls out a huge handful of worms, like out of his tights, <laughs> that have been there the whole time. <laughs> And then puts them all in his mouth. Mm-hmm. And then goes and gives, what was the... Charmel. Okay, and gives her a big old worm kiss. She's got them, like, stuck to her face and in her mouth as she falls out of the ring. This was this is great, great theater. I wrote after this, the poor ring crew, they had to change the canvas after tax and blood the match before, and now they have to change it again after worms and everything. Like you know, I feel matches. like that they didn't change the canvas until after this match because I had in my notes that they didn't that the ring looked terrible by the time this match started. So well, maybe yeah. they knew they're like, yeah, yeah. Boogeyman's gonna <laughs> screw it all up again anyway. Let's just wait. So the next match after this is Mickey James against Trish Stratus, and I'm not gonna lie to you guys, I have no notes on this match. <laughs> well, I have a few, and um, maybe Glenn or or Tommy, whoever has a computer or phone. Phone. Handy. So in the intro, kind of showing the storyline that led up to this match, um, basically the, the storyline is Mickey James is obsessed with Trish. Yeah, it Trish. starts out that she's just her biggest fan, and then it turns a direction <laughs> that maybe Trish wasn't expecting. Indeed. But in the montage leading up to it, it shows after Trish basically tells Mickey James to get lost to get back at her. Mickey James kidnaps Trish's friend, Ashley Massaro. Anyone want to Google that name real quick? See if there's been oh, any news. I don't, like, I don't even need to Google it. I know. Oh no. We're going to have her on the show next week with Jerry Fraley. She didn't make it to 40, so she doesn't have to worry about her next doctor's appointment. <laughs> <laughs> no, her prostate's fine. Yeah. Her and Robin Williams can talk about technique and that kind of thing. Um, but yeah, she was uh, Ashley Mazzaro, also on Survivor. So there's a crossover for you. She did not do well on that show. She, she, did, she didn't make it long there either. Oh, um, she didn't make it to like, day 40 is what you're saying. Sur surviving... <laughs> Not a big strength. No. Um, but all that said, man, Mickey James 
beats Trish clean in the middle. Yeah, she was, she def- was definitely somebody that great. looked looked a lot more spry and young uh, than they, she does now. And you know what? Um, this was 06, so this was the year I met Trish, or I met Mickey James this year. I had a run-in with her at the Royal Rumble. Okay, define run-in. Did you tell her where the bathroom was? No, it wasn't. It wasn't quite the uh, close friend experience we had with Becky Lynch. No, we were at the fan access because I went to that rumble. It was in San Antonio, and she was there. We got to okay. say hi to her. Yeah. And now, <laughs> now we get to let's gather around because <laughs> it's time to go backstage with the McMahon family. And first off. Oh my gosh! It's so cartoonishly tan. How that's a cartoonishly big. That's what it says on my notes. How tanned was Vince? Question mark. He was sixty years old. He was in incredible. <laughs> I was jacked, unbelievably jacked. <laughs> Is Only there, the most greatest supplements, most luxurious no, steroids. There is no better character than Vince McMahon in the history of wrestling. Like there is a, he's so great. So he's there with his family. He's got Linda's there. Stephanie, who I, if I remember seemed to be extremely pregnant, extraordinarily pregnant, very young, lean Shane is there. Dark haired and skinny Shane. Yeah, no, there was not a lot of shrugging and deadlifting in his d- no, days back then. No, no. Lin- Linda keeps having to step away to take calls about Secretary of Small Business stuff. <laughs> but they gather around for one of the <laughs> top three most memorable <laughs> prayers of all time. <laughs> Basically... He outlines, I don't, I didn't write down specific notes, but what I recall, he like outlines, he's praying to a God that maybe he doesn't believe in and he knows God doesn't believe in him, but he's going to go ahead and go through this anyway before his match with Shawn Michaels. I believe his prayer started with, I know you don't like me and I don't like you either. (laughs) So next time they call on you, Glenn, at the end of Sunday school to, to pray. So when it's when it's my turn to pray at the number one tee box uh, next Wednesday, should I go with that? Just print the transcript out of that? And only <laughs> if you're running audio on it. Just see what kind of reaction you get. Oh, my goodness. So next up, we've got Undertaker Mark Henry in a casket match. And as soon as they push out this casket, I'm like, well... Mark Henry's losing this match because right. this is the biggest casket I've ever seen. And while I had uh, pretty high expectations for this, I, I probably could have just walked out of the room for 10 <laughs> minutes or so and come back to see The Undertaker just holding his fist up in the air and would have been just fine with it. I will say this, the because uh, this was 06, so Undertaker had been around for a while when he did the uh, leap over the top rope over the casket, unbelievable! That's still, and, still impressive. And if for you notice, Mark size. Henry did a terrible job protecting him on the move. I mean, Dude, basically just I let him fall. Same thing. Just ridiculous. 
that he, I'm sure the Undertaker had some words for him backstage after that because I mean he does this remarkable dive over the casket and Mark Henry does essentially zero to break his fall. Yeah, he basically does the the Matador Ole and Taker yeah. just lands straight on his face. Yeah. I also thought that Taker had an awesome, to end the match, awesome tombstone of a huge guy where he just looked completely in control the whole time. No no, no sweat at all. And that also pushes The Undertaker to 14-0 at WrestleMania. And I thought his, because he wasn't really old like he is now, his whole look was awesome. Yeah. Coming out to the ring and all that. And so spry. Mark Henry had so his spry. day. That, the thing I noted about Mark Henry is he looks like like a living version of that new baby face app that they have. <laughs> he's this huge guy, but his face literally looks like he's only 11 years old, <laughs> but he can grow facial hair. That's great. After he can squat <laughs> over a thousand pounds. So Charlotte Flair can do more than that. <laughs> After this match, we have a McMahon video package promo of the Vince McMahon Kiss My Ass Club. <laughs> Man, I can't. I had forgotten how many people they may do that. Just unbelievable. They didn't even show all of them because I know JR was in it, and I don't think he was in the clip. And then we get treated to Vince McMahon, Shawn Michaels, no holds barred. And at this point, I'm not sure why, but I noticed it at this point. And before we get into the match, I want to get you guys' thoughts. I didn't like this WrestleMania set. It just like looks normally, it just looks cheap, I think, right? Yeah, normally like I'm always uber impressed with the like the entryway and the whole backdrop and everything. I was like looking at it, I'm like, eh, I don't like it. Uh, it's very plain, very bare bones. Yeah. Now this match though, whatever scale you want to rate it on, five stars, one to ten. It's above whatever number you could possibly rate. Like this was, this, this I was could have watched in, this insane. two or three times in a row. Insane. First note I so, have: Vince wears his pants too high. I think all wrestlers do. <laughs> he has him pull his his jeans pulled up to his belly button. This thing was violent, Glenn. There was there was just massive massive shots. Vince takes chair shots to the head that they would never dream of doing in 2019 in a post-CTE world. Before we get there, did because uh, it's no holes barred, so we have to get some interference to help Vince. The spirit squad runs out. Do you recognize anyone? Zigzag. The Ziggle Wiggle. <laughs> the Ziggle Wiggle and the spirit squad. With the short hair. So was there anybody else of note? That was it. That was in that. It was just him that came just out him. of that. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Because I was looking for some other faces, and I think I read. Well, we'll get to the main event, but there was a couple of faces that I didn't recognize as part of that match. We'll get to that. Um, but yeah, I definitely recognize Ziggle out there. Did uh, did either of you catch? Uh, and obviously, Jr. was very uh, anti-Vince in this. Uh, but there was a real funny JR kind of trying to pop the boys, as they say, with a little inside joke. At one point, Sean's picking up the beaten Vince McMahon. He goes, oh, look at that. 
Sean's holding Vince up again because <laughs> the stories were that Sean would had on a few occasions held Vince up for money. Like I'm not going to go out there and perform unless I get X. So oh, he's wow. picking, picking Vince off the, the ring, uh, ring canvas. He goes, Oh, Sean's holding Vince up again. <laughs> I thought Jr. had some great lines. Another one I wrote down, which is a little later in the match. So Sean gets a ladder rams it into Vince's head like legit like I that was one of the sickest thuds in the match and he and he actually bl- gets blood going legit blood from that hit and then he then he gets on top of the ladder like he's going to deliver you know either the elbow or the splash and the crowd's going nuts then he gets down discards that ladder very dangerously like to where I thought <laughs> man he almost threw it in the crowd yeah. He goes under the ring and gets out like a ladder that's twice as big, like this just comically big ladder. And then Jr. says to the king, he says, that's one of the biggest damn ladders I've ever seen. <laughs> I love Jr. But it was an awesome, an awesome ending sequence. So Sean, Sean, yeah, delivers off the top of the ladder, then discards the ladder, like, you know, neglects to pin Vince then... Then I mean I mean the, the the last probably five to seven minutes are just I mean Vince just getting annihilated yeah and you keep because thinking he, there's going to be a comeback at some point and it never happens because when he jumps off the the thirty foot ladder or whatever it is <laughs> like Vince is inside of a trash can yes that's been put over his head yes and then and, he yeah just in just such a so many shots poor Vince took in this match. Yeah, when Michaels jumps off and lands on the trash can, the dent in that metal or not steel, but I guess metal trash can is. I guess they maybe they had to do that so it wouldn't have killed Vince on impact. I don't know. I I think that's a protection move, but wow. Yeah, and then uh, and then yeah, Sean ultimately hits the super kick, gets the one two three, and and just a beat down. Of course. Earlier in the match, Shane had come out. He ends up handcuffed to the ropes. I mean, it, it was it was just a total McMahon just beat down after the prayer. Great match, though. I agree with you, Glenn. I I, I was uh, I was on the edge of my seat for the whole thing. Seven this, thumbs up. Yeah, at this point, and I knew the next match, which we'll get to, is the, the triple threat: Rey Mysterio, Kurt Angle, Randy Orton. But after the McMahon Michaels match, I was like. I knew this match was still to come, and I knew the main event was still to come, and I was like, this is a great WrestleMania. Just after the the vince Shawn Mike match, I was like, man, this is... They've had some quality stuff on here so far, and I know there's going to be some other good stuff, too. Yeah, Yeah. so I guess we have three more left. The next one is the triple threat for... Was the WWE title? Yeah, the World Heavyweight Championship, which I guess was the old WCW Championship, I believe. Okay, so we had Angle was the champion, and then the challengers were Orton and Rey Mysterio, who I just jotted down that Mysterio comes out to the to an, a live intro from POD, <laughs> and, I, and I am in a tent. I thought you might. I thought you might be after that. I uh, I, I appreciated it these days. Now in 2006, that would have been jumping off the walls but i just kind of knowingly nodded here in 2019 i'll say this obviously they didn't do the full pod concert but raw pay-per-view whatever they always did the entrance where there's the hole in the stage and mysterio gets like popped out and jumps you know what i'm talking about 
That was idea. so cool. Like, I wish they still did that with him. Yeah. My uh, my notes on the entrances were Orton, less tattoos, Mysterio, less tattoos, Kurt Angle, surprisingly more flexibility in his neck. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he hadn't broken every yeah, he, level. He, yeah, he, do, he, doesn't, he doesn't look like a guy wearing a Hans device walking around in this, uh, in this phase of his career. So... I didn't note any specific details, you know, from the match itself as far as as it went through it. But there was a cool note, triple German suplex where Ray was at the back yeah. of it and he went flying like halfway across the ring that I thought was pretty cool. My my main note is I now I can see why people want to hold on to Mysterio and Orton as long as possible in their careers because as as much as you know I enjoy the RKO now, I mean he had even more back then because he's like 24 or something you know back when this uh oh yeah he was this aired young, mysterio yeah. was great too yeah my uh my notes on this were well my halfway through i wrote this match is incredible taz is still terrible but one thing i liked was they had great and this is something bruce pritchard always harps on they had great psychology in this match as far as like doing what you would do if you were actually trying to win because there was a few spots where you know, one of the other two guys would have a submission on and the guy would be about to tap. And then the third guy would like grab the referee. So he wouldn't see it. Yeah. I thought, I thought that, that was hilarious. Was like, Cause there was a point where Orton was tapping, but Mysterio had pulled Charles Robinson out of the ring or pulled him around. So he couldn't see, I thought that was fabulous. Like really, that, really good storytelling in the match. That was great. Also Taz, who's terrible at one point says angle is suplex city. And I was wondering if that was hmm. the first time that was ever uttered because they would never reuse a gimmick, you know, like once right. that was put to Brock, they would never say it against anyone else. So I thought that was interesting. Um, and then the last thing, well, Angle kicks out of the RKO. Right, which, which I don't was, think ever happens because that's one of those moves that nobody kicks out of. Yeah, that's a very protected finisher, especially at that time. The only one that's but, protected more is the end of days, apparently. Oh, <laughs> nobody kicks out of the end of days. <laughs> but yeah, like, uh, like Glenn said, great match. Everyone sold for everyone. Even Orton at the end, selling and taking the clean pin from Ray. Just great stuff all the way around. And then, speaking of tents, we get to the most <laughs> unbelievable... This is the second to final match at WrestleMania, and it is billed as a Playboy pillow fight complete with a bed and pillows <laughs> in the ring. So I want to set the stage for this that well in advance of recording tonight that Tommy said this was the portion where he would be signing the screen. <laughs> <laughs> Let's hear it. The floor is yours. <laughs> no, I, I, I can't even remember what I was so worked up about. I, I, I'm gonna, I hate to let you guys down, but my, my notes were just, one, is just how ridiculous it was. Two, Tori was so hot back then. It's unbelievable. And, yeah. the, fact, and the fact that um, JR had another just a masterful line of announcing, because, you know, JR's calling card as an announcer is that, he took everything, so he made you feel like it was real, you know. And he even has said on his podcast, like he didn't ever know, he didn't want to know what was going to happen. He wanted to call it as it was real. So he gave us this very important uh, rules reminder during the match, as he said, "I want to remind everyone, this is a pin or submission match. This is not a bra and panties match." <laughs> 
because both both competitors come out in evening gowns and immediately like of course like you know the only reason they're wearing that is so they get ripped off <laughs> right I, I just wrote down that this is just two women in their underwear this is the only reason is. we're doing this the whole match the, lasted less than four minutes by the way which is about how long i can, lasted <laughs> you, you can relate to that oh. One and then ends was, and it actually ends with like a roll up pin, which like yeah again makes no sense. Oh, I thought but, you were taking uh, notes. Yeah, <laughs> the, uh, the thing that I I wrote down was a you know they're with the whole bit they're doing now with the women's revolution and their main event in WrestleMania. What would they think of this? And not only this, but even the quote unquote competitive match. What was Mickey James wearing? <laughs> yeah, no, I know, right? <laughs> it's a yeah, different we, time. It was a different time. Did you yeah. like how twice during the match they got things out from under the bed? Like there was a pair of scissors under the bed. Like how would they know? They just put the bed in the ring. Like, and then they also pulled out something under the bed and threw it away real quick that I think was supposed to be a uh, RFPD. Did you catch that? But they didn't. They that. didn't show it. Like it was. It was done real quickly, and they didn't harp on it. But I think that's what it was supposed to be. Well, Jr. also had a line, a double meaning line about when they got the scissors out. Oh yeah, no, I know. <laughs> Going to work with the scissor. <laughs> oh, is it time for the main event? It is main event time. So we've got John Cena and Triple H. They do a whole lead-up promo that even has a press conference. That's awesome when they used to stage like, like the, the it's real a real competition press conference. I love that. I want to let Glenn talk about the entrances of this match, but I did like, and I think this actually aired before the Tory Wilson, Candice Michelle match, but they're kind of like the story they're trying to paint is that Triple H is this privileged, had everything, right. and Cena's you know, the opposite worked for it all. So they show the shot of shot of Cena and he's like in a folding chair all by himself, putting on his own gear. And then they cut to triple H. He has one guy rubbing his shoulders and then a different guy on each hand wrapping him. Like That's awesome. I think even like Tyson had the same guy wrap his hands one at a time, but triple H has two people on either hand. That's why he's the king. All right, go ahead, Glenn. <laughs> no, I was going to say, with the Cena spot, they uh, they showed him as he's he's prepping for the match, and all he does, he's sitting there, and he just puts on, like, two armbands and holds his belt up. But this is, like, they vamp for, like, five minutes, and they've got it, Cena's got to be, they just got to be telling him, like, just do everything as slowly as possible. It no. just looks like you're really concentrating and... And JR, I noted this. I need to go back and listen to it if it was as bad as it seemed. But in that long vamp on Cena, it seemed like JR almost went into like the choose energy spot. Like he was kind of like really fumbling with what he was saying. Yeah. Didn't have enough words to fill up the screen. Yeah. So, so Triple H comes out yeah. with an intro that's similar to what he does now. Yeah, the throw. I know it's different for every WrestleMania, but. He did have two different intro songs, though. He had one when he's sitting on his throne and one when he actually walks out, which I thought was cool. The goat. Yeah. 
And then I guess Cena comes out and he's doing like a, uh, almost like a game, like a Elliot Ness, Al Capone, yeah. gangster type theme. And what I read about today was there were two other guys accompanying him in his walk down to the ring, which were CM Punk and The Miz. Oh, wow. I totally missed that. See, now I'm going to have to go back and watch that again. The CM Punk is definitely like they get a good close up of him and you can tell it's him. Um, I also read that The Miz was one of them, but I didn't see The Miz. And I feel like that's a little more. It's harder to find that one. Like CM Punk, like everyone knows that was him. I've looked around to find stills of the Miz and can't find them, but I did read that, so it's probably yeah. true. So do you think in the post Columbine, post uh mass shooting world that we live in today that John Cena coming out and firing a gun from the stage <laughs> is part of his entrance is a good idea? No, they were. This was in a post-Columbine world. I guess that's true. This event, yeah, but this this was not. Uh, I yeah, I, I, was I don't think this a, could fly today either. I was in a movie theater this time <laughs> last week where they gave the audience cap guns to all fire during the movie. So bad ideas are still out there. Bad ideas oh. still happen. So the competitors get to the ring, and the next note I have is the crowd is red hot for this. So what, whatever they've done here, and I think it was just a tick under four hours, they've, they've found the optimal time for a WrestleMania. Because every main event of every recent WrestleMania, the crowd is exhausted. Even, even where the main event's good, or they've already turned against the product at this point because they've been there for seven hours. The, the the crowd was as hot for the start of this match as they've been all night for anything. I mean, they're everybody's standing. It's insane. It's exactly what you'd want out of the WrestleMania main event from a crowd standpoint at the start. And uh, what's funny is this was very much like, uh, I think they actually date 2004 as like the beginning of it, but this was kind of the transition of Cena because he went from like the rapper where he was way edgy and funny and the crowd loved him. And then they started turning him into the heroic, yeah, you know, guy that's going to do a hundred, make best. a, make a wish visits a year right. and be the, the face of the company. He'd started to transition into that a year or two before and Boy, the crowd was hating it. Yeah, that was a that was a total role re- reversal because that Triple H was clearly positioned as the heel in the match, and Cena was supposed to be getting all the love from the crowd, and they turned on him so fast, chanting Triple H just over and over again. They were they were throwing out all kinds of chants. You can't wrestle against him. They were doing the yay boo when Triple H would hit him, and you know where they would exchange blows. It'd be. Yay, boo! Like only when they were booing when Cena hit. <laughs> yeah, it, it was. It was. I mean, the crowd really like became the third man in the ring in this match because they were not gonna. They were not gonna get on board with getting Cena, the you know baby face reaction that he wanted. Well, it was a slugfest back and forth. Like it was. Uh, it wasn't a quit. It was kind of. It was very slow, methodical match. It was a couple times I was like, all right, let's kind of pick this up, but then somebody would hit just a huge shot and be like, all right, I'm back in now. <laughs> but I, uh, I mean, unless we had anything else, I wanted to get to the, in, the finish of this the match. The ending sequence. I 
loved it. Yes. <laughs> I absolutely loved it. So Cena gets Triple H in uh, his STF was his submission hold, but because he's still edgy Cena, it's called the STFU, <laughs> which I always enjoyed. But I, I can't think of another finish I'd seen like this. So he gets him in it. Triple H is fading. They do the arm drop gimmick, which it's been too long since we've seen a good arm drop twice and then stop on the third one. And Triple H is shaking and you think he's coming back. And then he never gets out of the hold yep. and ends up tapping. I was like, that's awesome. A couple of, couple of things that happened right before that, the double low blow that involved oh, yeah. the ref. That was awesome. And the ref sold it great. I mean, he was just out of his mind. Um, Triple H kicks out of the AA, or as it was called back then, the FU. Like, everything about it w made you think Triple H was going to win because he kicks out of the finish. Then, yet, like you said, he, he, he doesn't succumb to the arm drop and the other finish. Uh, and then to see him tap out, yeah, and I, the crowd hated it. The crowd was not, uh, not a fan of, of Triple H doing the job there. But as a whole, this was a great WrestleMania. Like, if this is number 10 on the list, I'm excited about what we have to come. Oh, yeah. I was thoroughly entertained. And even the, even the matches that maybe weren't as great, like they kept him short enough and there was enough compelling content in there that it, didn't, it never felt like it really drug. It, was, yeah. it, 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 it kept me engaged the whole way through. Yeah, I'd definitely say McMahon and Michaels was the best match. Um, the triple threat was probably second. The main event was probably third. And then after that, it was just the boogeyman <laughs> in general. Was, just getting to experience the boogeyman. Me. But so, I mean, yeah. this, I'll tell you what I think really helped it was, and Tommy alluded this, alluded to this, the time helped because the crowd was hot as anything for the last match. Yep. But also just like the, the change of pace, you know, like they had the money in the bank match. They had the hardcore match. They had a you pillow know, fight. They <laughs> had a pillow fight. But yeah, that was the hardcore match. Boy, they had was a it. casket match. You know, they they really kept things interesting the whole way through. And of course, I mean, any card with the boogeyman on it is right. Yeah, three and a half to four hours, and you were in a venue that was 17,000 strong and not 70. Yeah. Because, yeah. I mean, it's a lot easier to keep your attention when you're just, you know, being up in the 300 level at the Allstate Arena is a lot easier paying attention than being, you know, top level at AT&T Stadium, where I think you can kind of wander and maybe doze off a little bit. Yeah, and don't, and don't sleep on that crowd involvement being a lot of why you guys enjoyed it so much. Cause I think their reactions and engagement into a lot of the big matches definitely makes you at home really feel like it's special and want to pay attention to it more. Absolutely. All right. So, uh, a plus. Oh yeah. A plus we're starting off good. We've got nine more to go. And if that's where we start out, I can't wait to see what next month's going to be. And next week we will read the rest of Justin's email. <laughs> <laughs>